So this is the first of a three-part series on this topic um, about uh, God and why we're not God, or why a lot of people think we are but just somehow don't know it. Um, there is... Um, uh, it, human life has been described not by a devotee, but by certain psychologists as a, a God project, that what we're doing in human life is actually a kind of a God project. And uh, there's something to be said for that idea, because it's true. That is to say, when we, when we think of God, well, the Supreme. Now, how many people would rather be the Supreme... <laughs> The not the supreme. So people all over are striving somehow to become the greatest, to work their way up. Uh, and we think we're doing it uh, in many ways. On an individual level, yeah, let me make my life better. Let me get more money, more wealth, more fame, more Twitter followers, more... Facebook friends, you know, all these things. Let me be bigger and better than the next guy. Huh? Engaged in a kind of uh, project of competitive sense gratification. So it's been called a God project. Hmm? Let me be the Lord of all I survey. And people doing. I once worked in, a, in an office... And uh, there was a lady who uh, was sort of very low on the totem pole and very conscious of being very low on the totem pole in the hierarchy of the office. You know, there was the bosses, and you know, how offices are. And, but uh, part of her job down at the bottom of the totem pole was she had the key to the supply closet. So if you're an office worker and you needed some paper in those days, you know, paper, typewriter, ribbons, those kind of old-fashioned things, uh, you'd have to go to her and ask if you could have it. And then it turned out that, you know, you had to ask very nicely. You had to, like, kind of touch her lotus feet almost and, <laughs> and flatter her and, uh, you know, pay your due respect in order to be awarded with the office supplies that you needed. So she was the lord of the supply closet. And so if she was the lord of all her, she surveyed, she made, you know, she surveyed very little. But that was her little God project. Uh, and then, uh, you know, when you're in school in the playground, there's one kid that beats up all the other kids. At least you're on the boy side of things, you know, and you no, know, that's the lord of the playground. And so we go on like this. And then when you grow up, people are doing the same thing. They have a, a kind of a God project going on. Of, uh, and of course, we have this, uh, and this God project has its own. You might call it mythology. Uh, that, uh, you know, we call it uh, the American dream. That somehow 
you can come here and to this country, and if you just work very hard, and everyone has a chance, you know, you can, you can climb your way up. You can become rich. And that's what America's for. I've just been reading a, a long series, uh, the New York Times, called Towers of Secrecy, which is very, very interesting because they have these very, very tall buildings in, in, in Manhattan over, uh, they're talking about one in particular, overlooking Central Park. And at the top of these buildings are condos that you buy you know, 10,000 square feet, 8,000 square feet, $30 million, $40 million, $50 million. You get up there, you have a river-to-river -river view all the way around. And people are buying these things. They're trying to track traps down, track down who actually owns them because they're all these shell companies and, uh, and uh, things like that. And... Uh, you know, and there's a kind of international oligarchy or kleptocracy or whatever you want to call them who are, seem to have gotten there and where did their money come from and, and so on. But uh, these are the people that, to show their status, because they don't even live in them that often. But when you get there, you know, I am, I look at how I can see, I'm up there high, like the devas, like the gods, like a god, you know? This is what people are trying to do with their lives. That's the God Project. But then you find out after a while that it doesn't work so well. Because, okay, you, you get up there and... Uh, uh, and you've made it, but then you grow old. Okay, well, we got remedies for that. <laughs> but they don't work so well, you know, and sometimes you see the people, you know, old people like me, but they got their faces all tight and everything because they're... <laughs> uh, and your, your, you know, your body... Oh, and we're thinking, by the way, that we'll fix it. Uh, I, I once uh, had, had, had a, a young lady come and talk to me once, and uh, she's a college student. And I was telling her what we called, you know, uh, the miseries, birth, death, old age, and disease. Janma, mrityu, jaravyadi. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, one of the items of knowledge is knowledge of the evils of birth, death, old age, and disease. He has to say it. Because people don't really recognize them. If you want to be happy, don't die. If you want to be happy, don't grow old. If you want to stay on top of material nature and be the controller, stop these things. But who can stop it? So she said to me, uh, this young lady, she says, oh, well, I, don't, I don't really think it's a problem. And I said, why? She says, well, I think that when I get, get uh, old enough to, that it becomes a problem, they will have solved it. <laughs> and ever since I was a kid, I can remember reading how they're going to do this. You know? And scientists keep saying, yeah, we discovered, you know, 
that's, you know, the mechanism in a cell, why it starts to die, you know, there's some little biological mechanism. And somehow or other, for all of us, they're going to find that mechanism. And when you start to get older, you start, you know, they're going to reach in the aging process and just turn that little molecular switch, and it will be over. And so this is what people are thinking. And so it actually, to face up to what it is that we're here for a little while, it flickers, we grow old, we become ill, and we die. And to look at it without any illusions and so on is very, very hard. So we, we have a mythology that somehow it doesn't. Or we have our different immortality projects. You go to any big university, you'll find so-and-so library, so-and-so. Somebody's name is up there. You know, things are named after you. And, uh, and uh, people are... You know, presidents, they have their presidential library. So that's your immortality project there, and your little God that I'm important, I'm significant. You know, and so people have these big projects of beating up Napoleon, you know, to really change the course of history. And then, of course, you know, in a hundred years, you're just some name to torture school children with. They have to remember this thing, you know, for the exam. You're not really important anymore because you're dead. And anyone who's dead is not important. So <laughs> this is, this, this is the, 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 the project. If people look at, our, at, at, at these prospects of getting what we want in this world, very, very dim. Uh, and, but we, 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 it still goes on. There, there's also the... The, I would say, the collective uh, God project, uh, the myth of progress, that somehow, and we really think that, you know, yeah, maybe, I'll, but our human race is going up, you know, and we, we, are, we are better now than we ever have been. Look at all the things we have. Look at the technology. Look at my laptop computer. You know, this is like new things. And we're going to advance more and more. We're going to... I've heard the term used when astronauts started to take off, the conquest of space. Now just think about that. <laughs> you know, we're going to conquer space. We're going to go to the stars. This is, we're going to rule the universe, you know? And so the real modern kind of mythology is science fiction. Star Trek is what it's all about. We'll go up there and then... And you notice they get up in the stars and they discover benevolent beings more powerful than we are, gods, and more powerful beings that are we are, that are, than we are that are not benevolent, demons. And then, you know, anyway, this, um, that's the, the, the idea now we're going, to, we're going to. And as we progress, we'll, of course, birth, death, old age, and disease will get all taken care of in the future. Uh, and and that, that's, what, that's what we're living for, to produce that, 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 that future. So these are, these are our different uh, kinds of ideas we have. 
But of course, science fiction is called fiction because that's what it is. And, uh, and uh, uh, you know, the, the story we get, at least from the Vedas, is that this is the worst stage. We're worse off than we ever have been before. Of course, the standards or judgment are a little different, but this is... A, because uh, the Vedic standard of progress is that, that uh, there's four... Cleanliness, austerity, mercifulness, and truthfulness. This is how you judge progress. Are people becoming more and more clean? Are they becoming more and more austere? Are they becoming more and more merciful? Are they becoming more and more truthful? That's the standard. And if you take that st- the standard of judgment, then, you know, we are getting worse. So you pick the standard you like, I guess. Want to say, yeah, we're, we're, we have, uh, you know, better facilities for lying, better facilities for cruelty. <laughs> this is somehow how it works. So anyway, life is bleak if you look at it that way. But we protest against it. We protest against it. We, we, want, we want something better. Uh, our, our little human God projects are not really working out. And the reason it's there is because every human being, we automatically think, I'm here for some purpose. So I'm supposed to be doing something important with my life. At at least I always thought that. I couldn't figure out what it was yet, you know. Uh, And I thought that there was like some uh, great possibilities and wonderful things to be done. I naturally thought this way. We have some kind of aspiration, and I think that's uh, from, from our, our, our own point of view. This is because we are spirit souls, and that uh, in, in in Prabhupada's uh, simple terminology, human life is meant for self-realization. For self, and feel we want that pro, that idea of self-realization, although we don't right now seem to have very good directions, and we do other things for self-realization, and find out in the end that uh, we are disappointed. We don't we don't really know what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, so our various little God projects are not, of course, in the competitive sense gratification of human life. Only a few are at the top, of course, and the rest of us have to settle for a life of disappointment. But the people who are at the top, at the end, they say, too, you know, it's not what I thought it would be. I worked so hard, I got there, now I'm a big deal, and I hate it. Let me find something else. There must be something more. They think like that. Because it is. It's not what you wanted. You worked so hard. And to get at the top, you committed so many crimes. Uh, Maybe legal crimes or illegal crimes. I mean, if you really want to be a good criminal, be in a position to write the laws. (laughs) If a lower level criminal, somebody else is writing the laws. But that's why when organized crime 
becomes successful. It's often called government. <laughs> I hate to be, sound so cynical, but I, I, I'm not cynical because I'm, I don't, I'm not hopeless. I don't think there's anything that can be done. But we have to know where to actually begin, what to, what to actually do to satisfy our desires. But sometimes, then the next thing that people want, and we'll talk about this next week, is that, oh, let me transfer my God project to the spiritual realm. Uh, uh, and some people think that self-realization means realizing I am God, I am uh, eternal, I am the controller of everything, and that I'm God and somehow I've forgotten. Because when we say when we say what what God is, He's the supreme enjoyer and the controller, uh, and when I want to be the enjoyer and the controller, that means I want that. I want to be the enjoyer of everything, the controller of all. And maybe I have to do it on a small little scale. And of course, I hope to enlarge it all in all. Uh, this is our, our God project. Uh, uh, we do it that way. And then if I fail, then I switch to spiritual life. Oh, this is how I become God. By yoga or uh, some other thing where I become one with everything. and like that. Uh, uh, but they, the uh, yeah, we but we are we become like kind of little competitors uh, with God. There's the story, uh, the Ramayana, the story of Ramachandra. Uh, and when you see Ramachandra's right there, and, and, and to his left is Sita. Ramachandra is God, and Sita, his consort, his energy, is the goddess of fortune. So the meaning of that is that all wealth, all prosperity, belongs to God. It belongs to God. There was this French anarchist who said, property is theft. Uh, but in, his, in a way, he's true. It's true. It's thieving from God. Uh, uh, so we actually, as servants of God, become like God in one respect, but also as eternal, full of knowledge and full of bliss. This is our spiritual nature. But as the servants of God, we become God-like, but not God. We will have to come to, to this, this point also. But first we have to get up all these other illusions. First is the illusion about material life. We should see it for what it is. But we should understand why we want something more than this material world has to offer. We should really understand what that is. Huh? So in, in the story about Ramachandra, the story is there was a 
big materialist. His name was Ravana. And he wanted to be the enjoyer and controller of everything. So he set up, he was called an asura. That means demon. And he wanted to be the enjoyer and controller of everything. And he had a city of gold and all these kind of things, but he wanted more and more. And then one day he saw Sita uh, uh, and wanted her for himself. Uh, so that's, that's our idea. If somehow I can take control, if Sita is material, the, all the bounty of, of the material world, if I can take it and own it for myself, then I am God. Uh, then I become the enjoyer and the controller. Uh, uh, and then we think, you know, that, that, that then I'm... Nobody can defeat me, and I'm immortal, and so on like that. But of course, Ravana met a bad end at the hands of, uh, of Ramchandra. Uh, 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 so this is, this is the, 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 the understanding we get from this, is that, that these kind of God projects, they always fail us. That, that when... When whatever we get, we are suggesting that our real solution is to become the devotee of God. And people kind of don't like that sometimes, especially if you come to the Hare Krishna temple when we bow down before God. We really like lay ourselves down flat on the floor, you know. And uh, sometimes when I've been in a temple and saying prayers and the devotees are bowing down and I can see some people in the back looking at, wow, you know, I don't know about this bowing down like that. You know, you lie down flat in front of Krishna and say, I'm the servant. Well, I don't, that's not the American way, you know. I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud to be proud. <laughs> this is... You know, they look at this uh, the humble way. But we're, I, we, uh, according to the understanding we get from Bhagavad Gita, all of us are constituted as the servant. We are constitutionally very tiny. We're part and parcel of God, but we're very tiny. God's the supreme spirit, and we're the subordinate spirit. But we're very tiny. And we discover our spiritual nature by surrendering uh, to God. Uh, I don't want to surrender. I don't want to be small. But you have to surrender. We all have to surrender. Unwillingly or willingly. Now, here we do it the willing, the nice way. And you discover your eternal life. But you say, no, I won't do that. I, you know, I've got my, I'm not small, I'm great. I'm an American, you know, I got Ivy League degrees. I got, you know, so many people that work for me. And I got that condo over Times Square. Uh, I don't have to bow down. But what happens at the time of death? 
Everything I own, I lose. It's taken away. I said, I don't want to be like those Hare Krishnas who renounce everything and bow down. Well, you renounce everything. It happens. And we give it up. Whatever your God project, where all they are, all Alexander the Great, Napoleon, where are all the big conquerors and the big heroes? Where are they? T.S. Eliot, the poet, said, I will show you fear in a handful of dust. Where are they? So we, everything we so-called own is taken away. And at the time of death, we bow down. There's some bigger power controlling us. That's, we are devotees. We're constituted uh, that way, uh, one way or another. Uh, so surrender, when we talk about surrender to Krishna, there's the nice way. But the other choice is, there's the way that you have to acknowledge that somebody, not me, is the controller of material nature. Now we think we will do it. Yeah, sometime we'll, we'll be able to control material nature. We'll be able to reach in there and flick that switch and live forever. That I wouldn't wait for or expect it to happen. Therefore, this is something we need to recognize, and we also will come to make the case, what about the other idea that's sometimes prevalent in, in spiritual circles? Yeah, I'm not materialistic, but somehow or other I become God. And that's next week we'll talk about. So at this point, I think we'll stop here. I didn't have my notes with me, but I hope I covered the turf. And uh, we'll see if there's uh, uh, any questions or any comments and objections and whatever. Thank you for your um, for your class, and you're always very perceptive and deep analysis of of things and the world. Um, Sometimes people, and you touched on this a little bit, but sometimes people can perceive um, us as kind of jaded and cynical. As what? Jaded and cynical, uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, hope, hope, seemingly hopeless on mm -hmm. some, some level. Um, and I wanted to ask a specific question. Um, I've noticed that sometimes there can be kind of a neglect for things on the material level with that a certain kind of mentality. So thinking that actually these things are temporary and so we don't really need to worry about them mm. very much and mm. we sometimes see other people or organizations that take great care on the external and material level and mm -hmm. there's a certain natural attraction to things that are taken care of and well organized and uh, I just wonder if you can speak to that kind of disconnect if you understand my question. Yeah, well, if you see people in our Hare Krishna movement who are not taking care and disorganized and so on, uh, that's probably just because they don't. we don't have the brains or the resources to do it. But it's not out of our philosophy <laughs> that we don't take care, uh, I, I think. 
because the world is what it is, doesn't mean it's valueless at all. It just has to be properly used. If, if you think the value of the world is to become the greatest and the enjoyer and the controller, then you're going to blow it. But if this human life, if it's meant for self-realization, then we should take Krishna's energy and use it in his service. And therefore, actually, if we live up to our ideals, we should become more careful. So, there, one way is to try to enjoy the world. Uh, another way is to reject it. Uh, uh, but the third way, which we will come to, is to, is to engage everything in Krishna's service, including my own body, my own so-called property, whatever part of material nature comes under my control or in, in my scope of work, I, 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 I use it for Krishna's service. So the world is not to be enjoyed falsely. It is not to be neglected as evil. And no, it's God's energy and it's here for a purpose. Uh, and so it, it is to be used, not, neither enjoyed nor denied. That should be our philosophy. Uh, and if we become careless, always oh, just matter. No, it's, it's God's energy. Come on. Take care of it. Uh, that's, that should be how we are. How, how much we live up to that ideal. That's another thing. I just take care of my body, you know. Uh, the human body is meant for self-realization. Uh, and uh, uh, and it needs a certain amount of sense gratification. Every time I take a breath, that's sense gratification. I need so much food to keep this body going. So that's how much sense gratification I need, so I can engage in a, a healthy way in Krishna's service. So there's no idea to engage in self-torture, which some people do as spiritual life, you know, you, 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 you've seen the famous bed of nails <laughs> that yogis lie on sometimes. Well, I've seen them in India, actually, sitting in the hot sun burning down with fires all around them. We don't do that. That's another thing where you deny and reject the world as evil and then try to mortify the flesh. And some people think that is... I remember once... <laughs> When I was a fairly new devotee, I was uh, invited to give a class at a Catholic girls' school in Philadelphia. So I was explaining uh, Krishna consciousness. And then the, the elderly nun, the sister, who was a teacher of the class, and she said to me, tell them about your mortifications. You know, that's a Catholic term, mortifications of the flesh. Tell them about your mortifications. And I, I said, mortifications? We, we don't have any mortifications. She said, yes, you do. You don't eat meat. <laughs> you don't take intoxicants. Well, I just never thought them as mortifications, but I guess to some people they are. You know? So, uh, so we, there's this, for some people we're austere, but uh, we, we don't uh, neglect the world. And you should be, have a healthy, happy uh, life. Did you? Uh-huh.
I have an objection. Mm -hmm. You asked for objections. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes in speaking uh, about our philosophy, I catch myself making um, sort of absolute generalizations that undermine the credibility of my own argument when they're mm -hmm. brought to my attention later. Mm -hmm. um, earlier in your talk, you said that uh, if you're dead, you're not important. And we have the experience uh, that even though someone may have left this world, uh, they still influence things from beyond the grave, or in our case, from beyond the samadhi. Um, someone may leave a legacy, write books, do things that will influence the future, and therefore, even though they're not physically present, uh, they remain important. So I'm wondering if you uh, would speak a little bit about the uh, relationship of the desire to leave a legacy to the desire to be God, and how you can do the same thing without necessarily having that aspiration to obtain the position of God. Hmm. Well, for a lot of people, it is a God project, you know. It's, it's my immortality project. And that, that fuels a lot of... By the way, I was being a little sarcastic. You know, dead people don't count. I mean, that's... If you're young, you think like that, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, but... but uh, 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 and uh, it's a legitimate desire... Uh, I mean, my, 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 my parents, who were not religious people, my father was a career army officer. He thought he was protecting, you know, the nation. My mother was a registered nurse. She was into healing people. They, you know, both thought they were doing service to humanity. And their philosophy was you should leave the world a little bit better than you found it. Good luck with that, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> especially, you know, I mean, what happened to my father? He ended up in, you know, ending up in Vietnam and, you know, getting very disillusioned. But anyway, that's another story. But but uh, that you're doing good, you know, that you are doing good. But it's legitimate to, uh, to to want to help other people and to help future generations. Although, you know, why uh, that should be confounded with, uh, you know, leaving a monument to my uh, myself uh, doesn't help anybody very much. But, you know, you want to have prototype people who are good. We always have somebody we're taught to admire. Uh, uh, and... Uh, but you know what 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 is it that's admirable you know that that's that's what really counts uh and certainly in our own tradition we have a legacy that's handed down well by Srila Prabhupada and by the other uh, teachers in the line and, and and we and of course we don't even think those people are dead <laughs> dead that but uh uh so uh, that's that's uh but you you have to you have to look. What can I actually do that's going to benefit people? What 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 is the 
what what will what will what will that really do uh, to help them? Now you can you know of course most people think of benefit as somebody you know well let me help people out materially. There's an altruistic impulse. Let me do good for others. But you will find out that you know what you do good for others may not be the best you could do. Uh, you help them with their material lives. My mother told me a story. She was an uh, uh, army nurse during World War II, and she described to me uh, how uh, in, a, in a military hospital there was an a, a army air corps. At the time, there was no separate air force. A pilot, young pilot, who came in with pneumonia, and they all knew he was going to die. You got pneumonia in those days, you died. But that, at, at that hospital, there arrived the first vial of penicillin anyone had ever seen. And they decided they would give this first dose, doses of penicillin, whatever was in that vial, to this airman. And everybody knew he was going to die. It was heartbreaking. He was you know, a very attractive man and, a, of course, a pilot, very sexy thing to be, and, you know... And young, cut off in the flower of his youth and everything. So let's give him this pen, dose of penicillin. And they a couple of shots of penicillin. And the next day, he wasn't dead. He was up laughing, you know. And it was a miracle. Everybody was crying. And so I can understand that, you know, of course. But what's happened now with our antibiotics and what we do with our miracle stuff and what's going on now, and you know, uh, it, do, it doesn't really, it, many times the things that we do does in, in the long run more harm than good. We think we find the one thing that's going to solve all the problem because I mean, everybody thought, not only is this airman going to live, but we've conquered infectious diseases. But the infectious diseases are now, because of overuse of antibiotics and carelessness, have become even worse. Disease is not over. How are you going to... So the problem is to help human beings solve the disease problem. It's not going to be medical science. It's good to use it and, you know... Uh, it's, it's fine, but don't think it's going to solve all our problems. Solve the death problem. Well, that's a really hard one, but, you know, Walt Disney is frozen solid and hydrogen. That's going to be waiting for the time when they finally found the cure. You know, they can unthaw them and reanimate them. That's not a really... It's going to solve... <laughs> anyway... Okay. <laughs> I, I think that's what happened. He had himself cyrogenetically frozen. No, there's all kinds of people that are stacked up in ice icebergs, uh, like icebergs, and uh, you know, uh, uh, popsicles or something, uh, with the idea that that when. They know how to fix them and the disease that they'll be reanimated, turn them back on, thaw them out, and start them up again. They can continue where they left off. And maybe, you know, we'll get better Mickey Mouses and so on. 
boon to humanity there, huh? <laughs> yes. You mentioned that we um, are not meant to enjoy the world, but if we're enjoyers by nature, by spiritual nature, it seems hard not to enjoy. I mean, when the sun comes out, yeah, I know sure. I'm going to be enjoying. So how do you, how do you not enjoy the world? Well, Prabhupada was asked once, what is the meaning of life? You know, like say, Swami, what is the meaning of life? And he said, the meaning of life is to enjoy. So we are blistropic. You know, we are seeking happiness, and that's natural. But the question is how to enjoy. And actually, as our constitutional position is, we enjoy by being enjoyed by Krishna. So, but the idea of sense gratification as the enjoyer is when, 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 when we enjoy, say like whether I get a popsicle or a beautiful woman, and I'm satisfying my senses, I'm thinking, now I'm the enjoyer, now I'm the controller. That's, that's, what I, I puff up. I get proud. When I, if I am standing on above, you know, 75 floors above Times Square, this is all mine to enjoy. Nobody else has it. I get proud. But even as Prabhupada used to say, even the pauper is proud of his penny. Now I have this. Now I have that. You know, I am the enjoyer. We puff up. Uh, and that's, why do we puff up? Why do we become a little proud? Why do we become, you know, because it's a little, because I'm down deep inside, I think now I've become God. So there's an actual spiritual enjoyment for, for ourselves, is not by becoming great, but by becoming small. And it, Two weeks from now, we'll talk about the smallness of greatness and the greatness of smallness. <laughs> it's just the, the, the world, it's just the opposite of what most people think. You had uh, pointed out that our constitutional position is that of service. Mm-hmm. And we see that um, in this world, being a servant is sort of a uncomfortable situation. Mm -hmm. So um, how do you distinguish that uh, this being a servant is something that can motivate us to actually um, be interested in this Mm -hmm. idea uh, to understand it's a natural position for us? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, mostly it's not uncomfortable position because we have really rotten masters who, like us, want to enjoy and control. And we're the losers and they're the winners. But see, Krishna is, in fact, the supreme enjoyer and controller. He has no insecurities. (laughs) He's not threatened by anybody. Uh, And so being the servant of Krishna is actually... When I become Krishna's servant... 
in that relationship with Krishna, I find out who I actually am. We say I'm not the body, I'm a spirit soul, but it doesn't just mean I'm a blank. I have a spiritual identity. And that spiritual identity, that spiritual identity, uh, when I discover it and I act in it, I total fulfillment. So if we are constituted as the servant of God, and we become that servant, and we discover who we are in that relationship with Krishna, and if you want to understand what, what it means, that's something people don't know. I mean, I always thought that the reason you church was the way it was was because it gave you a taste for boredom. Because my own, the only idea of what you did in, in, in heaven was sort of just stand there like this. Uh, there was no, God has everything. Well, how can you serve him? What does he need? He's full in himself, you know? What do you do? It was just incomprehensible. But this was like, you know, there was some knowledge, but not enough. So to actually find out what it means to be Krishna's servant, and how wonderful it is, and how not only is it fulfilling, but it continues to fulfill. That is another story. So don't, you know, to be a servant in the material world is the lowest. But to be the servant of Krishna is the highest. We have, you know, the Hare Krishna devotees, their last name is Das or Dasi. That's bad news in the material world. Das means servant. Uh, but for us, it's the highest achievement. I have an objection. <laughs> Every so often when I'm speaking about our philosophy, um, I drop a little aside that I don't really give too much thought to uh, without realizing that the person I'm speaking to actually doesn't know how that can be so or what mm-hmm. I'm talking about. And there are a few new people uh, here today. Uh, so in speaking previously about um, Srila Prabhupada and our line of Acharyas, you said, we don't really think of them as dead, but, and then you went on. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Could you elaborate on that just a little bit for the benefit of our audience who oh, are I wondering see. what you're okay. talking about? Uh, they aren't dead. Um, Actually, uh, nobody dies. Prabhupada said to us uh, once, death is an illusion we have imposed upon ourselves due to our desire to enjoy in this world. That's why we don't like it, because we are eternal, but we identify ourselves falsely with this material body and material mind. And so we seem to undergo this thing of death, which seems like an anomaly for us. So the nobody's dead. There's no such thing. It's an illusion. And when we speak of our Acharyas, not only are they not dead, but they're the active. <laughs> in our lives. They, they, they are experiencing the... Because the, the state we at, at the time of leaving this body, this is explained very carefully in the Bhagavad Gita, the, 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 the living being 
itself, the jiva, goes on. But it may take another material body, according to his karma, another temporary body, then mistake gets, again, the wrong idea about itself, and so enjoys or suffer in the world. Uh, uh, or if has full self-realization, becomes a servant of Krishna, then is enters into eternal life. Uh, and so those people uh, who are now in Krishna's spiritual kingdom and who have helped us out, uh, they're still involved in helping us out. So that's why, in, in a way, they're not just not dead, but they're present. Okay? Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Thank you.